Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. We are called to recognize our God for all that we have been given. We are called to praise God. Praise is often thought of in accompaniment with music in the context of worship. Why is that? How has our praise evolved over the years? What does it mean to praise God? How can we do so in other ways? In this week's message of the week, we wrap up our Back to the Basics worship series with a message from Director of Worship and Discipleship, Lucas Severson. He shares from Psalm 150 and leads us in an investigation into what praise means and challenges us to praise God when something feels deserved and when our relational foundation with God is all we have. Here is the First Church Message of the Week. Gracious and loving God, thank you for blessing us with another day. God, I pray as we dive into your word that we would hear you clearly, that you would bless my words as I speak. I pray that the distraction of self would go away. God, that we would be solely focused on you and that we would learn a little bit about what it means to praise you. Be with us now in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So my name is Lucas Severson, and as many of you know, normally what I would be doing on a weekend is leading the music. Um, That's my usual role, and um, unsurprisingly, preaching or giving a sermon of any kind is not something you would normally find me doing. So when Pastor Jen asked me to preach this weekend, uh, my first thought was hesitancy. Um, and then my second thought was a a pretty common thought in my mind is that I don't really have much to say, or the things that I say aren't really perceived as, you know, the, the expert opinion on something. So my hope today is to be as clear and concise as possible and that the Holy spirit would take hold of my words and help them make sense to all who are here or online. So here we are, you're listening to a musician you see regularly leading worship, ready to start a sermon about praise and worship. Now, if you're expecting me to give a long-winded explanation of chord inversions that bring out the glory of God, or go into detail about the origin of church music, or even what lyrics and melodies are the best to sing in church, let's just say that your expectations will not be met. I know, no music lesson today, sorry. But there is some sort of lesson uh, happening today. In the bulletin that you received today, there is a note-taking guide with some fill-in-the-blanks to fill in. So if you could keep that handy as we walk through this together, um, you can kind of keep up with what, um, what I'm talking about. So my prayer is today that we would all get a clearer understanding of what it means to be a daily worshiper minute by minute. So what does praise look like and why is God worthy of our praise? So let's start with the dictionary definition of praise. There are multiple definitions of the word praise, but today we're going to focus on the verb usage. Firstly, it means to express approval or admiration of something. And the second definition is to offer grateful homage to something. Now, in our context, it means to admire, commend, or offer grateful homage to God. Um, We'll come back to the second definition a little bit later, but I'd like to give you some examples of the first definition as it pertains to my life as a parent. Now, normally I do my best to express approval or commend my children on a daily basis. 
this is because I know that encouragement and support is vital in the growth of young people. And you'd probably agree with me that it's actually vital in the growth of all people, to be honest. Anyway, I've come to the conclusion that there are three truths about praise that I encounter most often in my daily life with my family. The first is that praise is harder when there is no metric to measure, when there is no tangible answer to prayer, and when there is no quantifiable change or progress. That praise is harder when there's no metric to measure, no tangible answer to prayer, and when there's no quantifiable change or progress. So let me give you an example. In sports, it's easy to give praise based on rules or outcome. And this year, my 11-year-old joined volleyball. After two weeks of practices, they began scrimmaging two times a week where family and friends were invited to view the games. Week one was pretty rough for all the players. Uh, It could have been nerves, but I would suggest that it was lack of practice or skill. My initial praise for my daughter was for support and encouragement, and I believe that was the same for all the loved ones and parents in attendance. There were many cheers and lots of people lifting up encouraging words like, great try, or you'll get it next time. And as you would expect, though, growth happened quite quickly after that. In just four weeks, there was growth in each player's skill and knowledge, and it was definitely easier to give praise following weeks of practice and growth. Do you ever find yourself unable to find a reason or maybe unwilling to praise? Think about that for a minute. Maybe it's when you work hard for a few years and expect a raise, but you don't get one. Maybe it's when you do exactly what the doctor says after giving you a diagnosis, but you see no healing. Maybe for you, like it was for me, you plan and plan for an event like our fall kickoff that happened a few weeks ago, and you don't get to see the fruit of your planning because of illness. In that week of laying in bed and being able to do nothing to help accomplish what I had set out to accomplish, it left me pretty unwilling to praise God. But God showed me that the outcome of the fall kickoff didn't hinge on me being there. All the more reason to give him praise, right? We know that God's not limited by our limitations. Now, a part of life that does have quite a few quantifiable changes is early childhood. Have you ever gotten an art project from a toddler? It may not be the Mona Lisa, but I'd hang it up on my fridge in a heartbeat. So here's the second truth that I encounter. Praise isn't only based on the quality of gift, it's based on the relationship with the giver. That praise isn't only based on the quality of gift, it's based on the relationship with the giver. So when my two-year-old gives a gift, she isn't concerned with how much I appreciate it or if it's going to win some awards. She's concerned with how much I appreciate her for giving it. And as her father, I'm not concerned with the perfection of the gift. I'm focused on the excitement that she shows by going out of her way to tell me that she was thinking about me by giving me that gift. In this interaction, you'll find selflessness and gratefulness from both perspectives. Although sometimes when she's trying to give me one of these Picassos while I'm making mac and cheese for the fourth time that week, I may not appreciate it as much as I should. So it's not about the gift. It's about the bond forged when we interact by giving or receiving the gift. Now, when I know the giver, despite the quality of gift, I commend them for going out of their way to share their heart with me. We're blessed to have an avenue to the ultimate giver, Now, the quality of that gift is definitely unmatched, and I would suggest that praise of the Almighty because of our relationship with Him is something to strive for. But what happens when something goes wrong? 
I know personally that I don't really want to commend the culprit of the offense. I'm not, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I play the blame game quite often. With that in mind, the third truth I see is that praise can be a response to something deserving and a foundation when things go wrong. That praise can be a response to something deserving and a foundation when things go wrong. So what do you get when you mix a rambunctious and adventurous eight-year-old with a breakable, albeit useful piece of technology like a smartwatch? An expensive, not very useful table centerpiece, perhaps? In an effort to help with safety and communication with our children, Bethany and I decided to get our older two girls smartwatches that could call or text a select few people. Now, this worked out for the first few months, but one day our eight-year-old came home from school with a disappointed look, almost fear. She had broken her watch. Now, in this scenario, it was very tempting to commit to one track of discipline, but the circumstances offered a little bit more than that. This culprit had previously and quite consistently shown responsibility in regards to most things. Not to mention she immediately told us of the mistake. So with all this information, she received praise for her willingness to tell the truth despite the consequence that was sure to come. There was already a foundation in place that led us as parents to give grace. Now, I would suggest that when you get to know God by reading his word, you'll find past historical evidence that will lead you to praise despite the problems and hardship at the current moment. So before we read our scripture passage today, I'd like to give you some building blocks regarding praise. Now, you won't find these specifically written in your pew Bible, but these building blocks consist of root words in Hebrew that explain praise a bit more clearly. The first one is halal. That means to praise, to boast upon, to be clamorously foolish about your adoration of God. Uh, This is actually the base word of hallelujah, and we sing that and say that all the time. And hallelujah in English is translated, praise the Lord. Now we shouted that with the kids earlier, and in a, in a few moments, we're gonna read that in Psalm 150. So look out for that. Now barak means to bow or kneel or to give a continual conscious reverence or adoration to God. So in English, this word is most closely related to the word bless. Now you won't find this in Psalm 150 that we're gonna read, but you can find it throughout most of the Psalms and specifically in Psalm 34 verse one, it says, I will barak or bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So now that we have these building blocks, here is where we interact with our scripture passage for today, but I'd like to decipher this with the classic whodunit mystery investigative technique. You, may, you might know the questions actually, who, what, when, where, why, and how. So I'd like you to put on your sleuth cap for me and look in the pew in front of you and you could probably find a magnifying glass to help you search through the scripture. Just kidding, there's no magnifying glasses there, but we can dig in deeper just by looking. So it's not, um, it's not too difficult to dive in. So let's take a look at what David writes in Psalm 150 to find out. He writes, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his acts of power, praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet, praise him with the harp and lyre, praise him with timbrel and dancing, praise him with the strings and pipe, praise him with the clash of cymbals, praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So if we dig into this passage, 
we should be able to find the answers to those questions that up until now may have been a mystery. Uh, we've, today we've already discussed the what. That's something that has come up a lot in this service actually, and that's praise. If you're following along in your note guide, that's already filled in for you, so you don't have to really work, work through that yourself. Um, that happens actually in a lot of investigations. Some clues are a little bit easier to spot than others. So uh, who do we praise then? Where are we supposed to partake in this praise effort? And when is the best time to praise? Now, the most difficult and usually the most common question is how do we praise? So let's try to answer all of those questions. Let's start with the who. This question has two answers. One, who is to be praised? And two, who is called to praise? The first answer is obvious right from the first verse, the Lord, God. Now, this isn't really a surprise as we're all gathered at a place where we come together to praise God, where we read a book written with inspiration from God about how God interacts with his creation. So who is called to praise? That's number two. We find this answer in verse six, and we discussed it uh, earlier at the children's time, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And if we look a few chapters prior in Psalm 148, starting in verse seven, it gives us a list of things called to praise the Lord. Now you might notice that I said things and not people because this list also includes things of the earth that aren't human. So uh, follow along with me as I read. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. Now this big list can actually be simplified down. And David does this in Psalm 150 and he writes the simple phrase, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So when we say everything, we can think of that big list. So that seems to be the answer to that question. When we uh, look at the question when, we can answer that by not only looking at verse two of Psalm 148, but with the Hebrew word Barak that I mentioned earlier from Psalm 134, when, and Psalm, uh, Psalm 34 verse one says, at all times. Psalm 147 as well, verses 13 through 18 shed a light on the ups and downs of life. So we're supposed to praise God when things are good and that's it, right? Let's see. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down his hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his mighty blast? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. So praise in this instance reads to me as at all times, no matter what. Now, it's easy to praise when God blesses our families, but it's not as easy when he, like in verse 17, writes, hurls down his hail like pebbles with an icy blast. When we come back to Psalm 150, we're called to praise God when his mighty hand acts and when his surpassing greatness is all we have. Coincidentally, this is also the why we praise. We praise because God's mighty works are abundant and his surpassing greatness is enough. This harkens back to our third point from before, that praise can be a response to something deserving and a foundation when things go wrong. Two birds, one God, so to speak. 
Now, the answer to where, I think, can be found uh, in verse one of Psalm 150. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. I think this can be understood as everywhere, from the sanctuary to heaven and everywhere in between. And that's something to cling to, right? We can praise God when we're in the drop-off line at school or the doctor's office waiting on a diagnosis, or we can even praise God in a church sanctuary when the preacher fumbles his words or the musicians hit a sour note. I could list a bunch of the in-between places where praise can happen, but maybe me just mentioning it has sparked something in you and you're thinking of a place that maybe you hadn't previously praised before and you could praise there. So my challenge to you is to praise there. Now, onto the how. We see some of the answers here in Psalm 150, and it's basically a list of something that leads us to an outwardly expression of praise. Trumpets, shouts, dancing, cymbals, that kind of thing. If you remember the Hebrew words that we just talked about, halal calls us to praise foolishly, and barak leads us to bow or kneel. These are outward expressions of praise. If we dig a bit deeper, though, I believe there is also a call to praise God with our innermost being inwardly. In his book, Worship the Ultimate Priority, pastor and theologian John MacArthur lists eight ways humanity should praise God. And there are three that I'd like to highlight today. And these three uh, talk about that inwardly, uh, inwardly aspect of praise. So the first one is unwavering faith. And this is faith in what has Uh, what is yet to come based on what we've seen or heard God do in the past. This is what makes the Bible so important. If we don't read about what God has done, we have a very limited view of what could be. The second one is confession of sin. And you might ask, how is confession of sin an act of praise? Uh, You know, I'm just... I'm just telling God what I did wrong and asking for forgiveness, right? But it's humbly acknowledging our wrongdoing and going to God with our junk, accepting the reprimand. This shows God that we value his ways and his precepts. The third one is a content heart. Now, this is easy to put in this list, but it's difficult to actually see in yourself. If we remember the three points from earlier, we can find what a content heart looks like. A heart that praises God when there's no tangible metric. Praise that's based on your relationship with God and praising God based on historical foundation when things aren't going as well as you'd like. So if we take all these things, these definitions, these examples, these lists, what does praise actually look like? Where did our investigation lead us? Now, my important takeaway from this and my hope for the future moving forward is that I would live a life of Psalm 150 praise, that I would praise at all times, at all places, no matter what. So let's take on this challenge together. Remember what God has done in the past and praise him. Trust that God has a plan for the future and praise him. We are all called to praise every single person with life and breath. So praise God at home, at school, at church, in the doctor's office, everywhere. Praise God when he's rebuilding your life, when he tells you to wait, and even when he asks you to endure his icy blast. Praise God with every outward expression you can, dance, shout, be foolish, and even kneel. Praise God in confession, repentance, and with a content heart, despite your circumstances. Let's pray. God, we encounter a lot of different things in our lives. God, and we might not feel like praising right now, 
but we remember your mighty hand. We remember your acts, your kindness, and your love. I pray as your people, individually and as your people, as your body, that we would praise you continually, that your praise would ever be on our lips. God, we know that you are good at all times and all places and in all things, and we praise you in those times. God, we love you and we're thankful for your acts that allow us to praise. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information like our church calendar, worship times, and upcoming events, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.